It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Sam Amick of The Athletic. How the heck are you, buddy? Gentlemen, doing good. Happy to be with you as always, Austin. You're you're an on-air superstar, baby, man. Uh, I'm on I'm on air. I don't know about superstar, and uh, I don't know. Once the boss hears me on air one of these days, maybe he'll be like, "What's he doing?" So no, I've heard you. <laughs> you're the boss. We're in good hands. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, he's Gordon. I'm Austin, and Sam with us. Sam, let's dive right in. I saw a bunch of stuff this week on the Athletic that had my uh, interest peaked. Uh, we do need to ask you about what's going on in Indiana, but John Hollinger says Rudy Gobert is the most underrated, underappreciated player in the NBA. Agree or disagree, and why? I still, admittedly, I have to you know fess up. Uh, I retweeted John's column, and I always love reading John. I have not read it yet. Uh, I have no problem with the general premise, and I'm, I'm you know more importantly, I'm in fear of losing my spot on this fine radio station to Hollinger if it keeps pumping out that kind of jazz material. I think I might be in trouble. But, yeah, I mean, it's the, the Gobert thing is funny because if I'm Rudy and, and I'm watching what I think is mostly a silly MVP conversation, um, and I tweeted about this, but, like, you know, you guys know how much respect I have for Chris Paul and what he's done this year, but you know, we kind of need to get off the whole Chris Paul should be the MVP thing that kind of flared up. And, and so if I'm Rudy, I'm kind of sitting there going, all right, I was okay losing to Jokic and Embiid and Steph and Giannis. Um, but, you know, now we're getting even further down the list and, and Rudy doesn't get any love. And it's, you know, it's funny. It's a different, to me, it's a different version of a similar conversation that we're having with Jokic. And I know this might be a stretch, but, just in general, we are guilty of, as fans and media of having preconceived notions about what an MVP looks like. And with Rudy, it's the fact that he's a you know, defense-first player. Um, you know, and with Jokic, it's the fact that he's a, a big that plays like a point guard. It's just we are you know, used to the Michael Jordan, LeBron James model, Chris Paul even, and, uh, and these other guys take a, a closer look to really appreciate it. So, Sam, I'm going to break one of my rules here, and I'm going to ask you two questions in one. And uh, But I'm really curious to know your answer to the second in relation to the first. And the first is, do you think the Jazz now at 48-18, and 18, up one game over the Suns in the West, do you think they're going to do it? Do you think they're going to get that, that top seed? Gordon, apologies. Give me that last part again. I cut out you, just a little bit. Do you think the Jazz are going to get that top seed in the West? Um, I, you know, I listen. I don't have a schedule in front of me. You know, it, it looks dicey. The Suns are playing well. They the last night was weird. I don't know if you guys watched that Atlanta game. I, I keep meaning to go back and understand what the heck happened. I was watching in the third quarter, and it was pretty tight and then they just got blown out of the water. So that was a, an outlier. But, you know, Phoenix is pushing for it. And, you know, I, I think that uh, Jordan Clarkson playing a little bit better recently has been a good thing. Um, he was obviously so hot early on, and 
out there in front on the six man of the year race and, you know, cooled off. So they've got the firepower to do it. It's just a matter of, you know, are they going to prioritize it all the way to the finish line as much as Phoenix might? I think the Suns, you know, quietly within their group might have a, a little bit of a different attitude than the Jazz. Like, gosh, that would that would really be special to get the number one seed, whereas I, I really do think Utah, because they have been through more as a group, is going to just be saying, you know, we got to be healthy and we got to be playing well uh, and ready to roll for the playoffs, and that's where it matters most. So then the secondary question is this. What is the regular season good for? That's a question that I've been asking myself more often, I think, this year than maybe any other, because I, I'm i not sure that the top seeds are the, the teams that are necessarily either the favorites to win a championship or the way to bet. Uh, what are we doing here? Is this just for entertainment purposes, or is it uh, more serious than that? Uh, it's going to be hard to know the answer to that question until – we get to next year. Uh, I mean, to me, this season is, is such a, an outlier that I don't know how much you can glean from it because, you know, the pandemic aspect of it changed everything. Um, the fact that, you know, injuries played such a big part. And even, you know, I think when other teams saw them, you know, saw superstars going down, you know, it probably, you know, you have all these cautionary tales all over the place when, you know, I think that makes teams apprehensive and then prioritize the playoffs. So this one, this year is a weird one. And even to hear you say, you know, the, uh, the favorite team, I don't even know who's favorite anymore. You know what I mean? Like the Lakers are officially in, in big time trouble. Um, the jazz have been great all year, but had some injuries lately, you know, and, and Phoenix is a team that we never saw doing what they've been doing. So it's really hard to handicap. Sam, I'm going to ask you to go back in your memory's eye and your memory bank and think over all the interviews and research that you've done over the years with shooters, and and particularly when you talk to them about slumps or shooting problems. What would you say is the number one reason guys have given you for their shooting woes over the years? I don't know if I have a great answer for that, Austin. I mean, where my mind went immediately is, and it's not even my story. Uh, when I was at USA Today, uh, my colleague and friend Jeff Zilgit had a wonderful piece on Kyle Korver, where it kind of took you inside the mind of a shooter, and it didn't necessarily illuminate why they slump and, and what the reasons behind it might be. It was more so kind of made you appreciate the art of repetition and, and the, the kind of the uh, the art of what they do. I just, I just know the opposite. This is not really answering your question, but when it comes to slumps, whether it's a, a Clay Thompson type or a Steph Curry, who I've spent a lot of time around, you know, it's that attitude that like you just simply, you can't care. You know, you it's like the old Michael Jordan commercial that, you know, if you counted all the times that he missed, um, you know, he failed however many times, and and that's how you get better. So. You know, there's different kinds of slumps. There's the kind that are just um, inevitable when it comes to the ebb and flow of a player's life, and then there's the kind where they let it get to them and you compound the problem because you mentally uh, let it actually get between the ears. Illustrating that very thing, Sam, was uh, Boyan Bogdanovich last night. He was 10 of 13 for 24 points, and he played terrific, efficient, but he talked about he his lack of confidence at times. 
through this sort of undulating season. And Jordan Clarkson just uh, likes to fire away and isn't going to worry about it, like the, the dichotomy that you just described there. Which do you think, in your conversations with Steph Curry, did he say that he, he's just going to keep shooting no matter what, even if he is in a slump? And do you think that's the best way to do it? I actually think of the two guys. I do think Steph mostly has that. I think, and this is there's no way to quantify this, my feeling of the, those two guys, the, the Splash Brothers, you know, for the Warriors, I would probably argue that that Steph is, you know, slightly more prone to uh, to confidence problems every once in a while, and more so in his earlier years than Clay. Clay is is kind of the RoboCop of shooters, if that makes any sense. <laughs> like he he really, you know, he's got red eyes and a, and, a, and programming that just does not allow him to care. And he's something else. So he is more the Ray Allen type, um, you know, those kinds of guys where it's what they do. I mean, this is, you just brought me back to a, a fun memory. When I was covering the Kings uh, really early, they had a game against Seattle and it was in Sacramento at the old Arco arena. And Ray Allen was shooting and doing his regimented routine pregame and the lights in the building legitimately went out, and it was almost pitch black. And I'm talking really jet black. And I'm sitting there courtside because I had been enjoying watching Ray shoot. And like the lights were out, and you're assuming, you know, you're kind of assuming that everything's going to come to a stop. And then I just started hearing that unmistakable sound of the the, the net swishing, <laughs> and and Ray just kept going, and he wasn't missing at all. And it's like, my God, like that. It's one of the first times I ever said, like, these guys, like, you know, what they do is, is incredible. So there's varying degrees of, you know, in terms of the mentality, you know, guys' ability to be that way. But I, I do think it's a, a trait that the best ones have. Wow. That's an unbelievable story. <laughs> yeah, that's enough to make you want to hate a guy, actually. Like, really? <laughs> you won't even crazy. miss in the dark? Come on now. Uh, the best part was that, like, he's, he, he was always a really media-friendly guy. So the fun part as a reporter was that I even got kind of like the self-indulgent chance on the back end to, you know, I think it was in the locker room afterwards to, to kind of circle back with him and just kind of be like, uh, hey, I, I'm sorry. Like, did I just see what I think I saw or, or hear what I thought I heard? <laughs> You know, and I think we talked about it, but yeah, it was something else. Unbelievable. Uh, well, whether the lights are on or out in Indiana, uh, they are in trouble. They don't like each other, and that boiled over last night with former Jazz big Greg Foster, an assistant there, going after uh, the, the player whose name I cannot pronounce. Uh, and he's a, <laughs> I, but they they say that they've got a good relationship and the emotions poured over, but then there's all these other reports about the head coach and DeMontis Sabonis and what is happening with the Pacers. Are we on the way to an eruption here in Indiana? Yeah. I mean, one of the things from a media standpoint is that like small markets like Indiana and then Utah is not the case, you know, with this right now. I mean, Utah, you guys are considered small market, obviously, but you got multiple daily beat writers on the team. You know, you, because the team has been good, you have a bit of a national spotlight that is always kind of around. The Pacers are different. They don't, you know, and I'm trying to think of who's still covering them every single day. J. Michael Falgoose, who used to be at USA Today, is at the Indianapolis Star, and he's there every day. But 
my point is this, like a lot of stuff doesn't get reported. And this story probably could have been reported two months ago, if that makes sense. Um, we've been hearing noise for a long time, uh, you know, and, and this just kind of, and, and Gordon, you can relate, you know, you win some, you lose some. We were not, you know, the other night was a little frustrating because we had the story and uh, made a few phone calls that ended up, I think, uh, having a domino effect where next thing you know, ESPN put something out before we had our story come out. So it was percolating in a lot of different places. Uh, but, yeah, man, the players don't like the coach. I mean, he just – I don't know Bjorkman at all, but the stories you hear are not good, uh, abrasive, um, demeaning to assistant coaches, and specifically that that was the kind of thing that, that lost him credibility and, and respect with the players, then witnessing the way he would treat his own staff. Uh, and, and kind of a Jekyll and Hyde personality, I think. I just read uh, – Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report had a pretty thorough breakdown of the situation. You know, that's the same type of stuff that I've been hearing. And I don't know what will happen at this point. It seems pretty unlikely that he would be back. But at the same time, it's it's one year. Um, I think he's got a guaranteed year left. And, uh, and we have politics internally that are going to play a part, too. But we're definitely not good at all. I mean, that scene on the bench last night was was wild and i think uh, just kind of a sign of how bad it is how often does that stuff go on sam it makes me wonder remember when players used to say uh he's a player's coach or whatever and that sort of somehow was an anomaly or something special you have to be a player's coach nowadays don't you because that's the only thing that works yeah you do but i mean i i think you know mostly that's not totally true so the funny part is Nate McMillan was, you know, criticized by Pacers players before he got fired as being too tough. And, you know, his nickname is, is Sarge, and that's kind of the way he was wired. And so it didn't work there. He ends up getting fired, even though he had a, a really good run in, in Indiana. But then, you know, he's he's killing it in, in Atlanta right now. You know what I mean? He deserves a lot of credit. And that's not a guy who is considered a quote-unquote player's coach. But for the most part, you know, there are a lot of them. I mean, look at New York. You know, Tom Thibodeau is not a player's coach, um, at least in the, you know, typical sense of the uh, the phrase. So it's a mixed bag, but I think the, the thing the Pacers ran into, and I've definitely, you know, I've definitely heard this from people within the organization, is that they thought they were getting one thing with Bjorkren. He did really come in as, you know, a people person, and then kind of just did a bit of an about face and was showing different stripes once he got in there. While we're on this, along these lines, the piece that you and Shams wrote about coaches' hot seats, and we talked about Nate Bjorkgren, Terry Stotts in Portland, is this really about to come to an end, uh, barring any kind of championship run here? It seems, seems to me, at least here in Salt Lake, that Terry Stotts should be appreciated more than that. Yeah, I mean, the sense, uh, I do think that one seems like a, you know, I, I, you always have to qualify this stuff because we can't predict the future. People could change their minds. Something crazy could happen in the playoffs, you know, like like we wrote, you know, if he pulls a rabbit out of the hat. But, you know, they there are definitely already wheels in motion to figure out who's next yeah. out there. And, you know, I think it's a combination of, They've they've tried 
every other area except for the front office. You know, they haven't. Neil O'Shea has had a lot of uh, runway as far as being the head of the front office, but they've changed the roster countless times. They um, they've done a lot around the edges, but they they added players this off season. You know, Derek Jones Jr. being one who I, I don't think they're happy with how he's been handled. Robert Covington before him that they thought was going to improve the defense and they're still terrible on that end. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have nine years with the same guy. So I agree that he should be appreciated. He's had a really good run, but nine years is, is definitely an eternity in the NBA. And the more, the most relevant factor here is that with Damian Lillard having three more guaranteed years on his current contract, there's just kind of a sense that, you know, the, the, the concern is you, you go another year or two with shots during that three-year run, you're asking for trouble because if you don't get the job done, then two years in, that's when Damien's saying, all right, I'm done, you know, trade me out of here. You know, it's it's interesting, this, this discussion, Sam, and I'm sure based on your experience you could go on and on about it, but I, I find it fascinating, these relationships, because it's more than just knowledge. It's more than just knowing how to motivate people. It's it's I the word I hear over and over again as far as effective NBA coaches is guys who know how to communicate. And I, I don't know yeah. if maybe you can be kind of stern and still communicate fairly in a way that players understand and where it's clear and it's not uh, some kind of game plan. So you don't have to be kissing up to the players all the time as long as they know that they're communicating their message and the player has an opportunity to communicate his message back. Maybe that's not being a player's coach, but it seems like in this day and age, you got to be a good communicator or else it isn't going to work. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that at all. Um, in fact, you know, Quinn Snyder comes to mind as a guy who is just a wonderful communicator with his players, and you hear that all the time. I thought that my buddy uh, at ESPN, Tim McMahon, wrote a good piece on Joe Ingles the other day, and in that story, you know, it's a, it was kind of a, you know, not a outside the box type thing, but Joe mentioned that every off season he goes to Quinn and he says, all right, coach, like, what did I suck at this year? And they talk it through, but you, every time you talk to a guy like Joe, he's just giving this hat tip to the coach. Like Quinn's the leader. He, you know, he communicates with me. He helps me get better. I, you know, it's not delivered, um, with toxicity it's not delivered with attitude or ego it's delivered with kind of a shared purpose and i've talked to quinn more than enough times to sense that from him and that's a thread that you're seeing with some of the the best coaches in the league this year if you look at monty williams in phoenix i think it's very similar if you look at michael malone in denver yes it's more you know you could say abrasive like and, and harsh more i guess you know that makes you think of a guy like bjorkren but it's different. Michael Malone has created bonds and rapport with the Nikola Jokic's and play, you know, Jamal Murray guys like that. Like the relationship stuff, he, you know, he, he goes to Serbia to spend time with Jokic and his family. He cares about him as a person. That's all part of it. And and we don't see all that stuff. It it might manifest itself on the court when the lights are on, but you know, all that stuff actually unfolded behind the scenes and, and out in the real world. And when you have that kind of thing going on, then a player, a coach can say to a player what Quinn Snyder said to me once about Joe Ingles. Uh, and I brought this up with Austin, uh, I think, was it yesterday or day before? I don't know. Anyway, 
he said, uh, in, in a way, he was trying to compliment Joe Ingalls, but he said at the end, this is my favorite quote about Ingalls from Quinn. He said, remember, he's full of bleep. <laughs> I was staying exactly. with me. And Joe would probably agree. Right. right. Well, and there is, it's, it's like a playfulness. It's, it's born out of actually liking somebody. And that's the bottom line. Like, I talked to one of the agents of one of the players in Indiana recently, and it's just like, he's really matter of fact. Like, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, the, the guys <laughs> think he's an a hole. Like, that's, you know. <laughs> And it's not that much more complicated. You combine that kind of a reputation with a lack of, it's not a lack of accomplishment. I need to respect Nate's career to this point. You know, it's just an incredible achievement to become an NBA head coach, but these players are not impressed by that. They, they, they're impressed by achievement as an NBA head coach. And in that department, he has none. So you have no credibility built up combined with people not liking your personality that's a pretty tough tough duo to, to get over well thanks uh, again for another great week of nba talk sam we'll do it again next thursday you got it guys talk to you thanks you gotta thank you sam amick of the athletic with us here each and every thursday for your nba daily assist so he thinks you're big time now well, if that's the case, then I need to start ignoring his calls and texts because <laughs> that's what you do when you're big time, right? You, you ignore, <laughs> ignore your friends. <laughs> I, I'm not talking from experience of being ignored.